Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Teriuktena, and today we'll be working with techniques for getting your monkey mind out of the way so you can meditate effectively. Ever noticed some of your best ideas, your aha moments and epiphanies, happen when you're not thinking of something? In fact, They come when your brain is off doing something else completely, focused on nothing, and your body, emotions, and soul are running the show. We think of it as getting the right idea at exactly the wrong moment. Like figuring out exactly how to solve the problem and get the project finished on time and under budget while we're in the shower. And now we either have to dash around wet trying to find something to write on, or wash as fast as we can so we can get done before the idea flies out of our head. Or getting the perfect inspiration while we're in the middle of a spin class. Or remembering exactly where that necessary thing is when you're out on a wilderness hike with no bars and no charger. All because you wanted to be unplugged. This is one of the main reasons why people struggle to meditate. Just as you're setting out to calm your mind set things aside, and focus on yourself, your brain springs into the quiet space you're creating and starts processing at top speed and volume. Part of why this happens is because we spend so much time planning and thinking, masterminding our entire lives, that there is no downtime for our creative side to problem solve. So just like a kid trying to get their parents' attention, Our right brain will take whatever it can get, which can cause some awkward and uncomfortable moments for everyone. The remedy is to see the downtime, the non-productive time where we're not driving ourselves to get things done, as relevant, valuable, and healthy. This perspective applies to Akashic work as well. One of the more common stumbling blocks to working with the Akashics is our general understanding of what it means to meditate. Most people come to think of this as stilling the body, getting into a relaxed state both physically and mentally, then quieting the mind in order to receive information. Unfortunately, while the description seems simple enough and is presented as simple, it is one of the most difficult forms of meditation to practice successfully, and for many can become not only an insurmountable hurdle, but a negative experience which feels like spiritual judgment. Luckily, there are other means to reach a meditative state. The most readily accessible is movement. Instead of turning off the body to focus inward, this style of meditation uses the body to engage the part of the mind which interferes with the meditation process, thus allowing wisdom to flow. In movement meditation, you choose a movement which is rhythmic, repetitive, and can be maintained without strenuous effort over a certain period of time, usually 30 to 60 minutes. Common examples are long walks in a park or neighborhood, hiking, not strenuously, washing dishes by hand, biking, jogging, swimming, knitting, hand quilting, and so on. In any chosen activity, the rhythm, like the rocking of a chair, is calming and soothing, while the action requires the problem-solving logic functions of the brain to focus on the task at hand and keep us from injury. 
These two factors set the conditions for the meditator to drop into what is commonly thought to be a daydreaming state. Getting the mind from one state to another takes an average of 15 minutes. For most people, this transition will be an experience of what the Buddha described as monkey mind, where the problem-solving aspect of the person's mind not only starts working through whatever is most pressing at the moment, but also seeks to take advantage of unscheduled thought time to consciously process bigger issues or pending emotional matters. However, these are usually chewed through to a resolution, dead end, or pause within plus or minus 15 minutes, at the same time the rhythm of movement has created a relaxed state. Commonly, the transition from problem-solving into daydreaming has occurred when we move to investigating what-ifs replaying conversations and social scenarios, even playing out what our life would be like in the future. We've been taught daydreams are just figments of our imagination, which exist only in the completely sealed-off safety of our minds. We're fascinated by stories which play on the question, but what if they were? This has become a long-lasting trope in fantasy and YA stories. Just think Wizard of Oz or Alice in Wonderland, for example. The thing is, Our daydreams do have reality as a means of communication. In childhood, we unlearn and forget this, and therefore come to think of our heads as closed systems. We think things only get out or in our head when we act to make it so. To see something, we must look. To express something, we must act. As an aside, this is one of the main reasons why subliminal messages are illegal in advertising. They play on our erroneous assumption we control what gets in, thereby getting messages in under the radar without our consent or acknowledgement. Now, this is not to say our being taught the notion of a closed noggin is wrong. It's not, and in fact has a purpose. We're meant to focus on this life and not be distracted with extraneous things. In preparing for this embodied life, We agreed and even desired to have this brief respite from constant and instantaneous communication so we could explore ourselves fully with minimal disruption or negative consequences. So thinking we're a closed system is a good thing. However, it's not really true. As we knew when we were children, our daydreams are a conversation between the embodied reality we're experiencing and the greater reality of the world beyond this microcosm. This is why some people will have what they consider serial daydreams, where the action seems to keep going on after they've returned to daily life. It's as if the daydream continues while they're away, and they're dropping in at a later point already in progress. More than likely, it is, and they are. This is why deep and important truths about ourselves and the world around us seem to unfold from our daydreams. It's not all about our subconscious, if such a thing actually exists, but about an ongoing conversation happening only marginally in linear time. What I'm saying is, daydreaming is an Akashic meditation. What you experience isn't all in your head any more than what is said in a conversation over dinner is completely controlled by you. If you want to check this out for yourself, next time you're daydreaming about something, try changing some random aspect. Try changing the setting, the flooring, the ceiling or the sky. Try changing what the people are wearing. 
you'll find you either can't or the change is momentary and returns almost immediately to what it was before. It's as if you looked at the person you're having dinner with, told them you didn't like their eye color, and then tried to change it for them. They would just look at you funny because A, it's rude, and B, are, are you kidding me? If you can change something in the scenario of your daydream, then it's something you brought with you, something in your head. If it's something you can't change, then it's part of the conversation. It's either something the other party is trying to tell you, or it's part of the place. Either way, it's not irrelevant, but has meaning and you should pay attention. When it comes to reading your Akashic Record or Soul Book, this process is even more of a conversation. Just like really good conversations in embodied life, they can progress, leaping from one subject to another, seemingly at random, but with one thread of interconnectedness. The joy of the interaction can make time seem to fly. If you look at your book closely and see a symbol on the front or on the spine, writing on the front or the spine, or embossed designs in various places, you may be led to see patterns in things, connect dots, or even recognize the edges of a bigger picture forming. They can help you to understand something pertinent to yourself now, or you may come to a revelation later, only to have this insight lead to another aspect of the book, and another connection, and another idea, and another inspiration, and so on but they can also engage your mind in a way which deflects the message or defeats the purpose. All the experiences and practice you can have with your Akashic Room, objects, and beings come into play when reading your soul book. And as you've probably noticed by now, while sight is our key sense in embodied life, it can be complicated in the Akashics. Our minds can play tricks with us, making something look one way when it's actually somewhat or quite a bit different. This is why it's so helpful to touch things as you go along. Not only does this help you focus, but your sense of touch will put the lie to any information your mind is trying to convince you of. With a soul book, it's not uncommon for students to see their book as a regular hardback size. However, most are actually 2 feet by 3.5 feet, which is 0.61 meters by 1.7 meters, and 6 inches to 8 inches thick, which is 15 to 20 centimeters. Touching the book will shift the visual to match the reality almost instantaneously. It's important to keep in mind your eyes will skip over things, insert more comfortable versions, or adjust what you're seeing to meet your expectations. So the first thing to do while you're looking is start feeling the book with your hands. With objects, trust your hands more than your head. When it comes to your book, check for what type of material was used to bind it. Is it hardcover or soft like a journal? Is there writing? Is there a place where writing should be? Is there a round place for a symbol? Can you see the symbol that's there? What about thickness? Are there leather or metal straps holding it together? Are there hinges? Examine everything and assume nothing. Let your hands tell your eyes what is there and have your eyes guide your hands in their explorations. Most of all, note that your soul book is a living thing. It's a part of you, 
responsive to your touch, and excited to get started. One more thing to note, most people expect to see or experience fantastical things in the Akashics right out of the gate. Some do, but it's fairly unusual. Just like in dreams and daydreams, everything about an Akashic journey or meditation is a conversation. The language used is visual and auditory, physical, and sometimes there can be taste if the situation includes eating and drinking. This means how things look, feel, and sound have meaning. The point of any conversation, here or in the Akashics, is to express meaning in the best, clearest, fullest way possible. This means the message in a journey or meditation is coded in ways which will make it as clear and easy for you to understand as possible. I mean, when we're trying to get something across to another person, we don't speak in a language we know they won't understand. Heck, we'll move away from vocal language altogether, progressing from hand gestures to pantomime and even into interpretive dance if we get frustrated enough. Beings in the Akashics are no different. If the images and experiences you have are so out of your range of experience you can't comprehend them or stay in the meditation, then what's the point? Most people find over time, as they become more accustomed to this type of work, to the visual sensory form of communication in the Akashics, the vocabulary, the experiences, the beings, and possibilities expand into what we would consider fantastical. To convert daydreaming into a meditation or journey, all that needs to be done is to be aware when you have moved from normal awareness into daydreaming, then start guiding the process. Guiding can be done listening to a recording of a meditation or by going through memorized meditation steps. Most people find that once in the daydream state, it takes no effort at all to direct the process. For some people, the classic form of meditation works but they can struggle with being too relaxed and therefore fall asleep. In this case, I recommend making the process a little less relaxing. Make the room a bit cold. Sit in a way which is not conducive to sleeping, or even stand. Others can have a problem getting deep enough into the meditative state and so can sense the process happening, but aren't able to get visuals. In this case, making themselves tired prior to the meditation can be helpful. Rather than meditate at the beginning of the day or when fully rested, a person who consistently struggles with this issue should wait until it's time for bed or their system has begun its natural slowdown. They should then be more amenable to receiving the information. Alternately, they can meditate after having done physical exercise. Wearing themselves out a bit, running off the excess energy, allows the endorphins to slide them into the daydreaming state however you achieve it, and there's no best or even better way. The daydream or meditative state is your gateway to the Akashics. And that's all the time we have this week. Next week, we'll be taking a look at how we physically manifest relationships with our Akasha or Chi through our left arm and hand. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a minute to show it some love on iTunes. Your comments are also appreciated. Thanks. Bye.